are recording. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Our Novel Experience podcast. I am Matt. This is Aaron. Hello. And Anna. Hello. We are back to talk again about stuff. So what the homework for last week was to listen to Run the Jewels 3, the album by Run the Jewels. And so hopefully y'all did that. And uh, Aaron, what do you think about that album? Man, I absolutely love Run the Jewels. And it's funny, I got introduced to RGJ by Anna's husband, probably back. So I was kind of late to the party with those guys. But my first experience with them was something that Lance sent over during election time back in 2015 or so. And ever since then, I've just been just hooked on them pretty much nonstop. This album, uh, Run the Jewels 3, it has a number of really good songs on it. I think my favorite is, I think it's called Oh Mama. And that one, it's, I don't know, it's it's just got a great bass line, a great hook, and it just, it just kind of keeps you going. It's got a great energy to it. So there's not a whole lot, honestly, to say about this album other than it's fabulous. Run the Jewels is a great, great band. Um, and yeah, I just, just love their stuff. Yeah, I, I would agree with all of that. Like they're, they're fantastic. Although, you know, I, I do think it stands out in their other albums. So I, I did not realize that my husband introduced you to the band. That's funny. I, was it Nobody Speak that he sent you? Did you say that? Absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Yeah. So, which absolutely made me fall in love with Run the Jewels as well. Um, he's he's super obsessed with them. But I remember the first time I was introduced to them was actually like, I used to, every year around New Year's, I would just become obsessed with finding like, what are all the new bands at the end of the year that I didn't pay attention to because I didn't have the time. And now I'm just going to sit down and look at every, every outlets, like top, whatever. And I think it was like NPR who said, Oh, if you're going to look out for any particular new group, it's run the jewels. And that was back when their first album came out, which I think was like 2013 or 14. And like I was at first I listened to the music and I went, this is fine. It's okay. And then lo and behold, like they just explode onto the scene. So, so whoever that, that was, was freaking prescient. Like they knew. So run the jewels is actually, it's uh, it's two gentlemen. Um, and my typical inability to remember names, uh, killer Mike. And what's the other guy's name? LP LP. Um, have you guys had an, an opportunity to consume any of their other stuff? Like Killer Mike had a, a Netflix show he did. That was pretty interesting. Yes. Um, so one of the things I really like about the two of them is I like that they're political and they've got their fingers in a lot of different hats. They do a lot of different things. Uh, and it's, so it's very consumable the way they put it out and you can, there's a lot of different angles and sides to what they offer and how they talk about things. So it's not just one genre or one method of delivering information. So can you say, say a little more about that? Cause I haven't consumed any of their, their other media. So Killer Mike does a, he had a, a Netflix show where he would he essentially would deal with systemic racism, whether it was police brutality or um, he talked he did one thing with two different he took uh, the Crips and the Bloods and had them both basically start businesses and they did they made sodas and then competing, Coca-Cola cup, basically Coca-Cola versus Pepsi, but it was Crip-Cola and whatever um, the Bloods had. And it was just – it's an interesting way to look at things. He also um, – you know, he's very much about – he's very much a pro-gun person. And he talked – I heard him talk one time about, um, you know, 
about gun culture and how it's you know not inclusive of African Americans for a lot of reasons and Second Amendment stuff. Just he's very well read and really does a great job of breaking information down, much much more articulate than I am, obviously. So to give uh, some clarity on some of the things that Aaron mentioned, the show that he is discussing is called Trigger Warning by Killer Mike, and it's available on Netflix. started in 2019. Uh, it is a good show. It has a plot line, a through line. Uh, the other thing is, uh, Anna, you were correct. Uh, Run the Jewels first came out in about 2013. Um I heard uh, about them because I watch Coachella each year if I don't go. So they did a, a set with Zach De La Roca in 2015, which is pretty fantastic. So they that's when they were coming out on Adult Swim singles. And that's actually where I heard it was in a when I first heard of these guys was on a stinger for a transition between episodes of something on adult swim, uh, on TV. And that was about 2013. So that's some information. Uh, don't, I wasn't trying to interrupt. What either of you guys were talking about? Um, do you no, guys, you're my fact checker. It's good. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, do you guys see, do you guys ever listen to meow the jewels? No, no, I'm intrigued it, by the name. It's, it's their first album or there's okay. It's a remix composed entirely of cat sounds and it is damn weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, I was actually run the jewels too, which was, uh, yeah, that's the one it was, but, uh, boy, was that bizarre. And I heard that with that they were doing that. And I thought that was hilarious. So, and they, did a full album. It's their album remixed with cat sounds. So the way it works is LP raps and LP does the beats. So LP does the producing and beat making for most of their songs that aren't something with DJ shadow or somebody else. But these guys work with everybody. They work with blink 182 drummer, uh, Travis Barker, they work with Zach De La Roca, formerly of Rage Against the Machine, again with Rage Against the Machine. Um, they they will go on stage with metal acts, hip hop acts, indie rock acts. They play everywhere. They do everything. Um, they are, and just listening to Killer Mike talk is fantastic. I, I he's he's like Henry Rollins to me. I just want to listen to him talk all the time. You know, that's, that's really cool that you mentioned all their collaborators because that was that was one thing I was thinking about while I was re-listening to the album. Like, so many of the bands that I really love tend to sort of hit a stride and just kind of find a sound and do that thing. And it's just like eventually kind of a monotonous deal. But they're obviously doing a lot to keep themselves fresh and challenging themselves. And damn, they've got to be good to collaborate with because, I mean how else are they going to continue doing this? And how do they get so many people to work with them? Well, and what are their boundaries? They, they haven't even gotten close to those yet. Yeah. As far as I can tell, because man, they are willing to push them, push yeah. those boundaries. But I, you and, made uh, a, you made a great comment about them and Henry Rollins and I, killer Mike and Henry Rollins. I can't imagine what it'd be just be a fly in the wall, of the two of them in the room together. It'd be really, really interesting. Yeah, honestly, like I, when people ask me, like, who do I want to meet? Who do I want to talk to? I'm like, nah, nah, I don't really, I don't need to be part of this conversation. <laughs> I just want to put the really awesome people in a room and have them hash it out. I want to watch Henry Rollins and RuPaul hang out all day. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, man, that, uh, that video you shared, Anna, I think that was you who shared that yeah. with uh, Henry Rollins discussing him meeting and keeping a a line of communication with RuPaul. Unbelievable. One of yeah. the, it's a great story. I loved listening to it. Every single second of it, I was, it had my attention purely. And it was one of those conversations. I had not heard Henry Rollins tell that story before. I saw run the jewels uh, quite a few years ago. That was an unbelievable show. Uh, I believe it was at the Gothic on South Broadway. That sounds right, but I also don't know Denver music venues very well. But uh, 
man, the thing that I thought was weird about going to the show was it was oddly a significant portion of almost punks, like new punk, where it's like lots of denim vests and like well manicured beards. But the beard <laughs> to not beard ratio was higher than I've ever seen concentrated in one room that was not a beard competition. I think I, those are called hipsters. I a well manicured beard and a denim vest, I think, is a hipster. Uh like a faux hawk as well. Mm. And was there product kind of, in the beard? Of course. Yes. Then that is a hipster. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, I feel like I am not prepared for this debate of hipster, not hipster conversation. So, and by totally the way, have, but I'm curious to have that conversation at some yeah, point. And we, uh, we should, I am not, I have nothing against hipsters. So when I say hipster, I don't say that is not a damn dirty apes kind of comment. It's a just. And Aaron, do you have a friend who's a hipster? <laughs> Many. <laughs> Um, wow, this fucking derailed quickly. (laughs) All right. Um, but yeah, it was a phenomenal show and I, I I loved it. If, if you can go see these guys live, they put on a great show. They interact with the audience a bunch. The audience knows all the words, all of them. (laughs) They can just stand up there and hold their mics out and the audience knows it all. Um, so they'll LP will also come out and just do some producing DJ mixing for a couple minutes. And man, that's good. It's stuff that's not on their albums and yeah. So great show. If they come back, catch them. I want to see them with rage against the machine again. I want to see them. But I think that's if Coachella happens this year, mm, good, good, good squishy. I, 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 I was just thinking like, man, if, if, if our kind listeners loved us very much, they would help us go see these shows. Cause there's no way I can afford to go see a rage against the machine RTJ show. No way. What do yeah. Coachella tickets cost? Like what kind of uh, number are we looking for here? Well, if you can get them, they're too damn much. Gotcha. And you can't get them. I, so I don't do festivals. Matter. So, yeah. Um, the, the cool thing about Coachella, though, is you actually don't have to go. And you can experience probably a better experience. Each year they run three YouTube channels that are all live. And it's for each set of stages. Because so I believe they have six stages set up. They've got the interior DJ booth. They've got the... I can't remember the name of the stage. They've got a bunch of stages set up. And so as one set or as one performer is tearing down on one stage, they switch you to the other one of the other stages that has an act going on. And so you can pick one of the three YouTube channels and just watch it, watch it happen. And the video production is very, very good. And they do a great job of making you feel like you're there there's a bunch of post interviews of or pre-interviews that were recorded earlier in the festival honestly it's better to just watch coachella on youtube than to try to go and fight all of that just the not only the traffic but all of the people at coachella it's just a much nicer cleaner experience to watch the youtube stream for a weekend that's my recommendation. Yeah. I mean, like there's so many things that the way you experience them really affects. I mean, being live for music is it, incomparable, right? But there's something to be said for how we have come this, this far with technology and how people have come this far with their skills. Like um, at the beginning of this whole self-isolation period, I started watching old um, MotoGP races. They were impressive for their time, 
but compared to what we can watch now, the high def, crisp, beautiful picture, you know, smell the rubber off the screen. You go to an actual race now and, you know, you can't see anything. You just hear the, it's just an entire, you know, experience of the Doppler effect. There's no like, you're not getting anything out of that, like that you couldn't get on HD TV. Yeah. When you go to live racing events that aren't monster trucks in stadiums, (laughs) you, you more or less see a vehicle pass by and that's it. So like I went and saw an F1 race once and I was like, yay, F1. And then for like a second, a vehicle goes by and okay. And then mew, 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 <laughs> And then that's it. Yep. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think exactly that position as well. Like that was interesting. Yeah. So nothing no. against live, live sports, racing, anything, but there are less expensive and for me, more enjoyable ways of consuming these things. So, so I've never maybe seen. Maybe I'm just I've, getting old, and that's. <laughs> so I've never been to NASCAR. So is NASCAR much the same way, or because the track is smaller, is it one of those things where people are actually able to watch it the entire time? Uh I don't know. I no, guess no. That's fine. I'm just asking. I may have gone to a NASCAR race at one point in time, but I don't think so. Uh, I do occasionally go to circle track races up north in Colorado at uh, Colorado Speedway. Is that what it's called? Bandamere Speedway? No, Bandamere is drag racing. Oh, sorry. Bandamere is a straight track. Yeah. No, but but, uh, Bandamere is a a very, very cool setup because that is loud mountain shaking huge engines that's that's a good time uh even if you don't know who some of the people are like i don't i'm not a an inherent fan of drag racing but uh boy howdy loud car go fast fun 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 um the so i don't i don't know all the intricacies of that i probably could learn and appreciate it more but I, I have a good time when I go up to Vandermeer. Uh, yeah, I think it's called Colorado Speedway. And it's up north and it's off the right, uh, the east side of I-25. And you drive off of the road just or off the highway just a little bit. And they have circle track racing and good, uh, just it, that, is a, that is a fun time. And it's not a very expensive event to go to. And it's a great way to smell race fuel and enjoy enjoy some racing yeah i mean just to kind of plug for other ways of of um experiencing things like that so my favorite experience usually for events is to be a volunteer like volunteering for for laguna seca motorcycle racing that was amazing getting to be in the pit amazing were you on a corner or what did you end up doing when you volunteered for that um, I mostly worked service, so I worked one of the tents. Um, but then I also got to work flags, um, and I got to work the start. So when all of the bikes start and they all just compress and then launch is one of the coolest things I have ever seen. And so they have like a walkway above it, and I got to go walk up on the walkway and be there when like the sound and the the air pressure hits you from, from the bikes. It's so amazing. And, you know, venues make a big difference too. Like Laguna Seca has a corkscrew turn. So you get to actually watch the bikes for a lot longer than you would if you were just on a track where you saw like a teeny tiny section and it goes whizzing by. So like, and I've also experienced other events volunteering. Like I got to experience, um, you know, several events with my folks, like that's who really got me into volunteering. And you just get that backstage look and you're busy. You're not just standing around waiting for things to happen. So like if, if you're like vaguely interested in something and don't want to spend money, I'm sure there's a volunteer opportunity for whatever it is. And even if you're not vaguely interested in it, um, you might find a nice appreciation for it. I, for instance, used to work security for the Michael Martin Murphy's West Fest up at Copper Mountain Resort and, you know, grew up with country music in the Midwest. But uh, 
didn't wasn't a huge fan but i i worked that when the dixie chicks were coming up michael martin murphy uh was putting it on i, I don't know if that's giving a too precise of a timeline on it but any not michael martin murphy but when the dixie chicks were popular it was a great time being backstage having people move their stuff around helping keep people who weren't supposed to be where they weren't supposed to be and i appreciated the the people and the music significantly more after volunteering so even if it's not your favorite thing maybe you'll be surprised and find a thing that you can appreciate more by immersing yourself into it yeah i'd highly recommend it like i think every every person should try volunteering for something at least once. And if you can, it could be something that you love, you know, even better. But. Com- completely agree. So that's run the jewels three, uh, hit us up on Facebook and let us know after you listen to them, why they're your favorite band now and <laughs> how right we were. <laughs> and we'll accept your accolades and thanks. Then, um, they have two new albums you, or new uh, songs. I couldn't couldn't I couldn't remember the word songs. So they have two new songs out, both off of their upcoming RTJ Four album. One is called Yankee and the Brave, Episode Four, and the other one is called Ooh La La, featuring Greg Nice and DJ Premier. So I've listened to those; they're also great. Put them in your brain. Run the jewels. I, I hope. Uh, I hope people will check them out. One hundred percent agree. Agreed. So, our other homework was to listen to Sir Patrick Stewart reading sonnets. Um, the way I like to consume that is by pulling it up on Project Gutenberg and reading along because I'm a weirdo. Um, and I like seeing the words and not just hearing the words. But I I don't know. For me, my favorite thing is still Patrick Stewart's like absolute joy and love for Shakespearean works just coming, oozing off the screen at you. And, you know, on top of that, like watching a master of acting say things like, I'm, I'm not sure I fully captured this, or, you know, this one's very difficult and I might emphasize some of the words poorly. And he's so humble about this amazing gift he's giving people. It's just, I don't know, blows me away every time. He's also just one of the most amazing people with some of the things he does. Um, His social media is very fun to consume. Uh, I mean, he's done a bunch of stuff where he dresses up in costumes and he's just very, you know. I feel like I need to know more about this dressing up in costumes thing. This is not, not something I'm this? aware of. There's a no. picture I saw, I ran across of him wearing a lobster costume in a bathtub. <laughs> Well, you're definitely going to have to share that with me and our listeners. I will share it with you. I will find it. And I will share it with you and we will put it on the Facebook page. Excellent. So I am glad to hear about the Project Gutenberg read-along opportunity because the way that I consumed this was I tried on Twitter. Everything was out of order. And the only one that seemed to be anyone was sharing was the Sonnet 80, which everybody knows that one. And it was great. But then I was like okay what's where's the next one is just random so it wasn't even it wasn't in shakespearean order nor was it in numerical order it wasn't it wasn't organized in any capacity then i tried to find it the next one was on instagram that wasn't better um but i went to his page and found that he had them at least in order and then uh once you can once you could consume them sort of in order but there wasn't like a autoplay or anything else like that. My experience with this was slightly different. I found it to be um, very enjoyable in the way Patrick Stewart is very enjoyable. 
and he's reliably fantastic. And Shakespeare is reliably Shakespeare. If you like Shakespeare, you it's you're into it. If you don't, you're not. Um, I'm eh, about Shakespeare. I get it. And I go, yeah, I mean, some of it's pretty great. And I like a lot of the things associated with it. But I only need to consume so much of it at a time. It's a nice relaxing thing if it were going on and I were able to think about something else, which I don't want to make people think, oh, that means it's just idle thing. No, it's a thing to engage with and it's a very pleasant thing to engage with. Uh, I, hmm, yeah, I did not, uh, there you go. I want to try the Project Gutenberg version and see if I find that to be more enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, I, it definitely is for me um, as far as whenever I'm listening to someone read Shakespeare, it's without the physical acting out of an actual play. I, I just need that extra layer because it is such an unfamiliar form of communicating on our day to day. So I'm curious, Matt, because you mentioned it as far as like sometimes you love Shakespeare, sometimes you don't. So what would be something you like that Shakespeare has written and done? Or what's something that you, are you just like generally blanket? It's not my favorite. Um, I, I like good, well-produced theatrical shows. So I am not beholden to any, uh, whatever, but having been around, uh, high school theater for long enough, you get to see enough, Romeo and Juliet done mm, over and over again. And you go, yeah, I don't, uh, I'd love to see a really well done version of that. I like the Boslerman movie. I know that's not Shakespeare, but the, a good stage show is a, a great stage show is a great stage show. And that's how I like my Shakespeare. So right. Theater is is the thing theater um is the preferred consumption mechanism and in that regard patrick stewart does phenomenally right and that's the way it's designed to be consumed though also i mean i remember one of my biggest complaints about high school reading shakespeare in high school i remember i don't remember what grade it was but we had to read romeo and juliet and we had to read a couple a couple other ones and it's not when you're sitting in a classroom and it, you're reading it either in Round Robin where everyone reads a section or it's just not the same as consuming. That's not the right way to learn to appreciate Shakespeare because it's designed to be consumed in the theater. And you're doing a disservice, I think, to the people you're trying to teach it to if you don't give it to them in that fa- the way it's designed to be delivered. I mean, to be fair, what – Patrick Stewart is reading is the sonnets. It is the poetry parts. It's not the theater parts. Right. I get that. Um, but so I, I think it was good. I think I just really borked up the consumption mechanism. I, I think I didn't consume it correctly and therefore did not connect with it in as, as much as I wanted to, or probably should have. And so yeah. I would say, we should link to the project Gutenberg version, see the correct consumption of this because I I would like people to have a better experience than I do or than I did. That's understandable. Yeah. um, I think one of the things that's becoming a common thread in our conversations is that the way we consume what we are consuming has a massive impact on our enjoyment, right? The, if we if we set ourselves up to be receptive, then what we what we uh, what we see and what we hear is, you know, miles above if we are already closed off or just like not prepared for whatever it is. Like some things are great when they're surprising, and sometimes expectations play a really big part of whether or not you're going to like a thing. Totally agree. Absolutely. But I mean, I was I was thinking about like really theatrical presentations of Shakespeare. And I just it just pops into my head and I feel the need to mention it. 
it is a lifelong dream of mine before he gets too old to see and, and passes away because it will happen to all of us. Teller's productions of a Shakespeare performance because he's done two now. So Penn and Teller, Teller of Penn and Teller has done two separate Shakespeare productions. Um, I'm going to forget if it's Macbeth was the first one. I think it was. And the second one was um, The Tempest. And I missed both of them because they were on the East Coast and I was working or going to school for both of them. And it makes me the saddest person alive because I would give, I would give anything to see one of those productions before they are no more. What is it about you are, him? You that, are correct. It was uh, Macbeth and Tempest. What Sorry, is it about just... him and his delivery method that you find so compelling? Oh my gosh. Have you seen Penn and Teller perform live? I have seen Penn and Teller perform live. Um, but that's purely, it was magician stuff. And so I'm just wondering how that translates to Shakespeare because it's very different. Oh my gosh. No, it's, oh no, man. Okay. So this is, I am, you've, you've tapped into like a a part of my brain that is super passionate. So the first time I saw Penn and Teller in Las Vegas, and it's the only thing, only reason I go to Las Vegas is to see Penn and Teller because I'm a weird fangirl. Um, Teller has a trick that he does where he creates goldfish in a fishbowl using coins. And he does it entirely without speaking. He picks from the audience the sweetest, cutest, littlest old woman, usually, who's wearing glasses because the glasses are important to the trick. And every every movement and action that he takes is a beautifully choreographed story that he tells and it has so much heart and charm and like like literal magic to it that you can't but walk away awed by the kindness and joy that he presented by the act of making goldfish out of coins. Like it's just beautiful. And a lot of his other solo acts are very similar. They are incredibly theatrical. He has like in, in that one, it's completely simple set. There's nothing else on stage with him but this woman, a fish tank, and him. It's, it's calm and beautiful and peaceful. Then he has he has another piece where he's followed around by a balloon. It's gorgeous. There's a story that's told. It's charming. It's funny. Um, but the real one that really lends itself to Shakespeare is he has a trick where he cuts the shadow of a rose and the petals fall away. And he uses those techniques to create what, like he applied those techniques to create a Shakespeare production that has magic in it, like special effects magic inside a theatrical production of Macbeth. So you imagine all of the pieces with blood and gore and ghosts, and you can just imagine what kind of glorious things he would create. Okay, you sold me because... That sounds awesome. That sounds incredible. I was, I know that he is capable of speech. I have heard him speak, but all of his acting that I think of, especially in the Penn and Teller world, he does not speak. That's part of the shtick. And I was picturing him doing something like that and more of the slapsticky side for Shakespeare. And I was not sold. I was like, oh, that sounds awful. This, the way you describe it sounds incredible. I would like to consume that. I'd like to get my hands on that. I think that would be an amazing thing. I posted video links to both of those in our shared document, and I will post those to Facebook so people can watch along and see what Anna was describing from uh, Penn and Teller's performances of the coins into fish and shadows. So, I was emphatically nodding along while Anna was speaking. So, yeah, I mean, Teller also wrote this book. um, One day, all this will be yours. I should look that up um, about his father. And it like it demonstrates if you watch Penn and Teller. Yeah, there's all this slapstick going on. But Teller's so the heart and soul. Like 
He is the the artist of that pair. Teller is an incredible craftsperson, an incredible performer. Don't get me wrong, but Teller is the the artist. Yeah. Penn will be the first to admit that he's a uh, carny carny trash. Right. Isn't that what he says? Uh, yeah. Where he's just a juggler. That's his, that's his thing. He calls himself. So yeah. Uh, I adore Penn and Teller. Uh, Gillette is one of my favorite, uh, atheists and, uh, I can listen to him talk about just about anything. I like l- listening to people who are interesting to listen to, um, killer Mike, Pendulette, Henry Rollins. We keep talking about these people who are very good at telling a story, sharing a tale and a perspective. Um, yeah. So man, Penn and Teller go see them at the Rio, uh, if they're there. So that is one of the things that I've been doing during this time is just sort of consuming, uh, fool us. Any, any trick or show that's on fool us. I'm, I've been consuming. It's very soothing for me. So, uh, something you had said reminded me of something that Aaron said a couple episodes ago, and that was about uncut gems, the movie. And if I, what was your take on that, Aaron? It wasn't good. Um, so, I heard – so um, it showed up on my media server, so we decided to try and watch it because that sometimes happens with my media server. Movies I don't remember asking for just show up. And so tried to watch it, and it was – I understood what it was trying to do, but the movie – just was slow. It dragged. It didn't get me interested. And I had a hard time really getting into it. And I probably watched three quarters of it before I just had to give up and stop watching. So I really didn't enjoy it. Um, but then I heard an interview with Pete Davidson, who is an interesting guy. And he was talking about that movie. And he commented at the last 20 minutes of that movie was the most amazing thing he's ever seen in film. And of course I stopped watching right before the last 20 minutes. So I have no idea what it was about that, that he loved, but now I feel like I need to go back and watch it again. Okay. I probably, (laughs) (laughs) um, so I, I watched uncut gems. Uh, it was, it was a rough watch for me. Um, but I also, the, it's done by the Safdie brothers, and they also did a movie called Good Time, which they these guys do a great job of uh, making a movie feel frazzled, like it's on its last nerves, like it's just an anxiety ball. Everything moves so fast. Everything's done in such close-ups. Everything's so small and particular but quick and hard to keep up with. And they don't spend a lot of time explaining things they show. They don't tell, you know, there's lots of, lots of aspects to what they're doing. That is great. I just don't need either of these movies in my life right now. I think if I had seen them 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago when I was in uh, school, these would have been probably some of my favorite movies because they are so frenetic and fast and um, anxious and confusing. And it, 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 it pulls a lot of emotions out of the viewer to try to keep up. You have to actively engage with the movie. And if you don't, it gets boring because you're just like, well, what the hell is going on here? Who are these people? Why is this happening? And if you're aggressively engaged in it, but it's exhausting. It's, you know, it was a endurance match. And I, the first time I, when I watched it, I had to stop it like an hour and a half into it. And I went, how long is this thing? I can't, I don't have the stamina for this, this, this movie. Um, uh, and that was, I don't know why, I don't know why I transitioned to this, but there was something that Anna said that was 
very soothing about what was going on. And this reminded me of being markedly unsoothing, aggressively frazzling and how I didn't feel like I, I need this right now. And I would much rather have been watching uh, Penn and Teller try to figure out how magicians performed a trick. Absolutely. And, and in this particular time. So yeah, I you think, made it, you made it further through uncut gems than I did, obviously, but I think we had a similar experience. You just had I more think, patience. I think uncut gems and good time are very, very good movies. And I think they're just poorly timed. So like what we were discussing earlier, where how you consume a thing determines whether you think it's good or not. I think these movies are better than the situation that we are in right now allowed them to be. So I just wanted to throw that in there. I don't know why it wasn't on the agenda, but. No, that I find that fascinating, especially as the one person in this group who hasn't either attempted to watch nor fully watched uncut gems. Like now I feel the need to examine whether or not that's something I want to do. Um, I have a tendency when things get hyped a lot to just sort of go meh and not pay attention uh, until someone that I really trust tells me something about it um, because I always become suspicious of the hype. Like, what is what is this really all about? Like, everyone really loved Avatar, and then I went and saw that, and I was very confused why everyone loved that Pocahontas movie. Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> I, mean, I, it, I feel like we're. It, I brought it up, and that is my fault, but that is a bit outdated. Um, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I mean, what, it sounds like you have a very strong opinion about it. Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no uh, getting around that the story was dances with Fern Gully. Absolutely, but, <laughs> yes. um, the dances with blue people. The I went and saw that as a tech demo that they were doing for the installed, the recently installed uh, 3D setup that they had done, and this preview was a certain. I think it was like 15 minutes at the, it didn't show you the beginning of the movie. Didn't show you the end of the movie. It just showed like a 15 minute chunk in the middle where Jake Sully is, uh, as an avatar fighting the monster in the bushes. And it, it's like a running lion He's running thing. and jumping and flying. Yeah, and there's lots stuff. of, there's lots of actiony things. And there was a couple minutes of the glowy, uh, treetop thing. And then there was a couple minutes of the mechanoid uh, human world. And the way they cut that 15-minute preview up, um, having my, my my one of my artistic histories is in uh, 3D animation. And that going and seeing that, I my my heart grew five times bigger. It was, I thought it was, it changed everything i was like this is phenomenal this is this is a complete and total game changer and so i went into it with the freshest biggest babyest eyes of just like what is the future gonna be and you know we got the movie we got but the disneyland or the disney world area down in florida uh the avatar area is really really cool at night. Go there. It's it's awesome. Um, I have a fondness for Avatar, but I have, I have yeah. I have a fondness for really good special effects in movies. I find that entertaining. Um, I think Avatar was a great example of look what we can do with special effects, much like the Matrix movies were. Look what we can do with special effects. And the first Matrix was good, but it kind of dies off after that. So I think we've gotten to a stage personally in the art form where just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And I don't I no longer need special effects movies to prove they can do the special effects. I now want a really good story. And ideally, you won't notice the special effects is there. Are there? Are there? So I, I went. I went into this whole thing. I went with actually with coworkers, and we went and saw it. And we were all three D artists at the time, and we 
we went inside and from an academic standpoint of like knowing how hard those things were to do, it was, uh, unbelievably impressive. Oh, I'm sure. So, so just because you can, doesn't mean you should may apply. I don't know, but man, these, the, the 3d animation that they had in avatar in that trailer was, was shocking to me. I actually think that's a really, I'm so glad you shared that Matt, because I mean, some things can be appreciated purely on their technical level. Some things can be appreciated as having the whole package, but yeah, if you're going to push boundaries, technologically speaking, there are plenty of things out there that are, you know, you, you go back and watch them now or see them or listen to them now. And you're like, Oh, I liked this. I was really impressed by this. Wow. Because we grow so rapidly in what we're able to do. So I think that's a really great lens to look at that film through because yeah, as a technological three-dimensional animation piece. Yeah. Holy crap. That, that was eye searingly amazing. Um, I just, for me personally, hated it. <laughs> it's just and like, that, and that's totally fine. I, I don't begrudge anybody who goes, what the, what the hell was that? Um, <laughs> well, I it, just, and then uh, the thing was, I think the part of the issue that that movie actually had was the hype. Um, people who didn't understand why people who were in the industry were gobsmacked were just going, Oh, it's a technical achievement. And you're like, hold on. You don't understand what kind you don't understand how. And then they said, yeah, it's a, it's a phenomenal thing. And then if you watched it, not in 3d. And then if you watched it, not in IMAX. And then if you watched it, like, on a, I mean, that came out around the time the iPhone four, right? iPhone, iPhone three. It's a, yeah. If you watched it on your iPhone three, uh, on an airplane headrest, yeah. Who gives a shit? Like it's just not. I mean, meh. But if you got the the goggles and the thing and the you, you went through the whole the whole experience. Boy, howdy. I mean, all of us looked at each other and went, oh, my God, everything is different now? Yes, everything is different now. Like, oh, my goodness, this is this is life-changing. And, yeah, so whatever so I, the hell else happens from here, I, I'm i not uh, meh. So are you, excited, I, Matt, are you excited for the sequels that are coming out supposedly sometime soon? No, I'll consume those. Um, I hope that they leave the old one technologically in the dust, but I don't, we've context is so important on this. And when he did this, it was, um, such a technological achievement, but now, I mean, blenders free. Everybody's got access to 3d. Uh, you can, Augmented reality is on our phones. Like it's, it's a different time. What you have to do now to be that level of extraordinary. But I would also argue that, you know, some of that stuff might not have occurred unless Avatar had happened. I mean, he took, and with that being the biggest movie in the entire world, he was able to install so much, so many updates, upgrades to theaters to give them, the 3d functionality, which is still in use today. I know TV, I know 3d TVs sort of fell flat on the consumer market. Uh, but that's cause they never really solved the, uh, uh, glasses thing. And by then, you know, you have things like the scenes in spy kids where, uh, Antonio Banderas is fighting a pretend robot at the end of spy kids three, I think, and they're just bolts flying at the screen or when, when movie companies and then when they made 3d movies didn't know how to use them correctly, they would take a spear and poke it out and be like, aha, it's coming out of the screen. Yeah. When they did stuff like that, it I mean, they were trying to figure it out. That was the front. That was the front edge of it. They were trying to solve these problems. They didn't quite with 3d stuff, but 
the money that went into that, the money that went into the infrastructure with the avatar uh, being as successful as it was allowed 3d as a medium to push itself forward as a, as a mechanism and, you know, made it so that it became uh, financially viable for Apple to put uh, depth sensing cameras on their, on their devices so that we could have it so that augmented reality was viable. These all tumbled into each other, the technical dominoes for this, you know, certainly passes through avatar to get us where we are today, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really great observation. It, it, it's had me thinking like so many things that are innovations are often made as a result of something else trying to solve a different problem or, you know, are being made without maybe the best intentions. You know, it's, it's just where, how we grow in our ability to do things is not always just, here's the perfect product. Ah, enjoy. It's a, a journey of failures and avatars and, you know, all of these different things. So, I, you know, I would be wildly curious what our listeners think of as like game changing technology or innovations and culture that allow us to do different things. Cause now that's something I'm going to start exploring. Um, cause I'm super curious about some things that I'm thinking about, but, uh, well, yeah. And I would argue that even more granular than that, you know, uh, you know, part of what I do is advertising and marketing and, when you see something like the Zune versus the iPad or the iPod, the Apple iPod, when you see those two things and you see what could arguably be seen as a better product lose in history and not, you know, cut the path through the future, but instead get hung up. I mean, Nokia, Blackberry, like there's a lot of technological things where the better product lost. Like the, the numerically, yeah, Betamax, HD DVD versus Blu-ray. I think that one, the correct Victor one, but um, you get what I'm saying. Like there, are, there are certainly choices. Oreo and Hydrox. Hydrox was first. Oreo was second. Okay, nobody knows what the hell a Hydrox is, but people know what Oreos are. Yeah, that's you know to the history dictates the winners and these kinds of things and very small happenstance like zoom is doing great right now because of the social distancing were they the number one before i don't know um but they have some areas where they're less good than other options and some areas where they're better than other options and so Things outside of control of the marketers, the designers, the builders, the manufacturers dictate the success of these of these products and really do lay the foundations and, and groundwork for upcoming opportunities for technology to take hold. So it's not always the the best idea doesn't win. It's the be- it's one that gets funding. It's if you know. Somewhere somebody has the perfect movie script, but they just can't get funding for it. Meanwhile, some really terrible movies get made every year. That's how it is. Absolutely. So um, in the interest of time, I was going to see, Matt, did you want to share out what you'd mentioned to us before the podcast? Oh, that uh, a cool thing I saw. Uh, I saw a cool thing. It is the, uh, um, where did I put it? No, I lost it in the, in the, uh, it went away from the notes. Oh, Crooks Butterfly Discharge Tubes. They're beautiful. Uh, they are basically very um, beautifully hand manufactured uh, bulbs and they are filled with different gases. And the butterfly discharge tubes in particular, I thought were extraordinarily cool because they were painted with a different reactive 
material. And so what you do is you is they would use these as demo, demonstrations when they were teaching people about electricity and that it wouldn't, you know, kill you dead all the time if you plugged something into the wall. When they were trying to get electricity more approachable to people who are afraid of it as a technology, they made these uh, discharge tubes and they made them very pretty. And you would put a current into either end to discharge the electricity into the tube. And it would make the butterfly light up. And it, it's very pretty. And I saw one and I did some some brief investigation. And I thought, that is a delightful thing that I didn't know existed that I wanted to share with our listeners and Aaron and Anna about something I, I thought was neat and fun and pretty and interesting. That's very cool. Yeah, I just looked at uh, looked up a picture, and now I'm I have to spend more time checking it out because that's that is really elegant and and delightful. That's yeah, really neat. So, do who wants to share the vocab word? Oh, um, I'll, I'll I'll go for it. Um, so the vocabulary word for today is, and I'm going to butcher this because I can't speak Dutch, is hamsteren. Spelled H-A-M-S-T-E-R-E-N. It means to get or gather together or hoard like a hamster. And the reason I selected this word is through the clickhole of the internet, I found an article about words that are becoming more prevalent or getting made up during this time of COVID-19. And this particular word became somewhat viral because the sign language interpreter for the the Dutch politician who was speaking at the time about encouraging people not to hoard played out the word and did so in a way that was just extraordinarily evocative of both the hamster, the word hamster and, and hoarding. And it was just like the perfect coming together of, of a specific word in a specific language that doesn't exist somewhere else and the expression of it in in sign language. It was just a really neat, silly, and cute thing that I found. I'm picturing, you know, watching a politician speak and that person in the upper right-hand corner for the hearing impaired doing a miming gesture of shoving everything in their mouth and puffing their cheeks out. Am I close to oh, what yeah. it was? Oh, yeah, but it's, it's like more like a grabbing motion. We'll link to a video but it's like it's like a gathering motion with kind of a fierce rodent-like face. Oh, it's fabulous. That is absolutely adorable. I am glad you shared that with us. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I should, we should also share the link where I found it. It was um, the Economist sister site, like 1840s. I can't remember what they titled it. Um, and they had a whole list of different words that are becoming use more useful in this time or even created for this time. Like COVIDiot? Yes, that was one on the list. So, well, that, that'll be fun to go through. All right. That is vocab. So we have homework for next week. Uh, do you want to go ahead? And this was, again, Anna's suggestions. So... And if you would like to share the homework for next week. Absolutely. So I kind of wanted to bring it a little bit more local for next week as far as music goes. So I was doing some research um, and listening to a lot of local bands that were fine. And then I came across uh, a band called Ivory Circle Music and specifically their song called Trigger. And so we're going to listen to that. Um, and if you're looking and you're trying to connect to some local music, um, Indie 1023 is a great place to do so or Westward. Those would be my two recommendations for now. Um, and then our, our next piece of homework is actually another podcast. It is made by Night Vale Presents. It's called Our Plague Year. And there are several episodes to listen to. Warning for all listeners, including Matt and Aaron. It's an incredibly emotional set of stories about living right now. Um, but I highly, highly recommend of all of the episodes to listen to the one called it could be glorious to discuss next time. I'm excited to check that out. 
Do you guys have anything else? Are we good to wrap up here? Or do you guys have anything else you wanted to share or talk about? I have nothing else to add at this time. Okay. Well, cool. Uh, thank you guys very much for joining us for episode six. It's uh, April 21st. And uh, be kind to each other. Everybody take care of each other out there. Thank, thank you so much. much. Bye. Bye. Bye.